biology. 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 Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. We're going to continue our way through the syllabus today, starting at a new inquiry question. And today's inquiry question is, how do genetic techniques affect Earth's biodiversity? And the dot point is a, it's actually quite a long one, and I found it a little difficult to unpack this one. So I've done my best today, guys, and I hope you do enjoy it, but I apologize if I've, uh, you know, mixed a few things up here, so... Yeah, forgive me for that one. The dot point itself is investigate the uses and applications of biotechnology, and then in brackets, past, present, future. Analyzing the social implications and ethical uses of biotechnology, including plant and animal examples. Researching future directions of the use of biotechnology and evaluating the potential benefits for society of research using genetic technologies. So as I said, quite a bit to unpack there. And where I think we'll start is simply going over some past, present and future examples of biotechnology. However, before we do all that, we need a clear definition of biotechnology. And biotechnology is really any technology that utilizes biological systems, living organisms or parts of this to develop or create different products. So it's using living things or parts of living things in order to do something or make something. And it certainly is a broad heading that covers many different things. So let us go back now to where it all began. That's right. It's 8000 BC and you're in Egypt. Sorry, I can't set the scene any better. But this is where some of the biotechnology started. Now, not all of the biotechnology that we know of started here, but I like to give it as an example because there are a few different things they did. The first one being the production of bread um, and the second one being the production of beer. So both employ the use of potentially making crops uh, and using those crops in combination with yeast in order to produce bread and alcohol. And one final ancient example of biotechnology would be that of cheese making. And cheese was produced through the combination of bacteria and milk that they had at the time. Um, it's obviously been refined since then, but some of the same processes are still used today. If we skip forward a few thousand years, we get to the ancient Babylonians, and they uh, were the first to really perform selective breeding. Um, on palms and tomato plants and that selective breeding is obviously still being done today now if we skip forward another few thousand years we can get to more classical biotechnology and this is where there are some great crossovers with content that you already know one place we can start is the idea that Gregor Mendel proposed which was that of inheritance and the idea is that he crossed certain pea plants in order to produce certain traits so that use of artificial pollination and selective breeding in order to produce offspring is really a good form of biotechnology that you can bring up. 
Another example you can look at is the ideas around fermentation. So although this was being done by the ancient Egyptians, it wasn't really known what was happening until Louis Pasteur and a few other individuals discovered that there were biological organisms, yeast, involved in the process. So this really allowed them to perfect the process and come up with the ideas of pasteurization. And those processes are ones that we still use today. So good examples of past and ancient biotechnology. Let's move forward now to some present examples. And the distinction between past, present and future certainly can get blurred here because some of the things we still do from the past and some things we're doing now that we're going to be doing in the future better. So this is where the distinction is a little confusing. But some present examples that you would certainly know of include artificial insemination, pollination, modern medicines like vaccines and antibiotics, insulin production, the ideas that BT cotton and other BT types uh, allow, transgenics and other GMOs, DNA sequencing and profiling, and examples that are in the supermarkets right now like the Flavor Saver Tomato. So they're all present examples of biotechnology that you may have heard of. And when we look at future examples, again, this is where it gets a bit tricky, but the three that I like to use are CRISPR for one. A lot of you would have heard of CRISPR already, clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. Basically, it's a little cut and paste tool that allows us to very accurately manipulate DNA. But because this is a tool that has not been perfected, I like to use this one as a future example because we don't really use it on humans at this time there's only been a few trials and some very sketchy ones but the idea that this could revolutionize uh, how we manipulate dna is certainly going to be something in the future a couple others that we can look at is phage therapy so the use of bacteriophages to manipulate or cut out certain parts of bacterial dna so this may be a good solution for antibiotic resistant bacteria because viruses and bacteria battle almost every day, they have the tools to really take apart bacteria. And so if we can manipulate viral DNA in order to allow it to kill the bacteria we want it to, we might have much more targeted therapies in the future. So it's a good example of a future biotech. And one that I heard of recently at, I think it was Sydney University, was nanoparticle delivery of cancer-killing drugs. And this is where RNA molecules are manipulated so that they can carry very small packets of cancer-killing drugs into a tumor where the thickening of those tumor cells make it very difficult to treat. Now, I think it was uh, pancreatic cancer that we were looking at at the time, but I can't remember exactly. But the idea is when a cancer tumor occurs, the thickening of those uh, cells makes it very difficult to deliver drugs. So scientists were able to manipulate RNA molecules. I like to think of it like kind of like the tRNA molecules that bring in the amino acids, but they're able to manipulate these RNA molecules so that they could carry just a small amount of that drug and then they could use it and it could get through the small interstitial fluid spaces in order to deliver that drug. So this is certainly something that's going to be hopefully beneficial in the future. If we can make the you know specific RNA molecules to do certain jobs, we might be able to program them to take drugs to wherever we need them. So a few good future examples there. All right, we're now going to go through and have a look at some plant and animal examples and their social and ethical implications. So the ones that I like to pick are 
um, artificial insemination and the Belgian blue cow. So if you haven't seen Animal Farm, that's uh, spelled P-H-A-R-M, not the other one. Um, Animal Farm is a really good documentary that goes through some of the ways in which we manipulate animals and plants in order to produce desirable traits. So definitely worth a watch. But in the uh, documentary, there is the Belgian blue cow. And this cow is really enormous. I mean, huge. If you want to look it up on uh, Google, you definitely should. It almost looks abnormal, like it's been injected with lots of uh, growth hormones. But in fact, it's actually a, uh, a mutation that occurred in the cow where they have um, a gene that doesn't stop their muscles from growing. And when this occurred in one cow, they were able to then breed that cow and over many generations, they were able to enhance those features. And so these cows are known as double muscle. Now, they don't have double the muscle, but they certainly do look like it. Now, this is an example of artificial selection because they were able to use a trait that was already developed in the cow and then just breed it over time. So they take a sample of semen. They actually can analyze that semen under a microscope to pick the best semen, uh, the best sperm, and then they insert that into the female. And by doing that, they're able to produce the offspring with the desired trait. So definitely a good animal example there. Another one you can look at is the... BT cotton plant. Now, BT is the uh, short name for the bacteria, which is Bacillus thuringiensis. Now, this is a transgenic species, so uh, lots of implications here in terms of social and ethical implications, but we'll go through the ethics after. So with BT cotton, the Bacillus thuringiensis gene produces a toxin. So this bacteria makes a toxin that is um, very toxic to certain bug types, in particular a boll worm or moth. And when it gets into the stomach of this worm or moth, it uh, causes it to basically self-destruct. Um, it, uh, it kills the, the worm and the moth. And so because this toxin is produced, they were able to manipulate the DNA in the bacteria and then insert it into the cotton plant. And now the cotton produces this active toxin uh, by itself. Now this minimizes the need for things like pesticides um, and insecticides, therefore um, minimizing the damage that it can cause into farms and runoff and, and, and lakes and rivers. Um, but the uh, one of the main concerns is that the toxin is bad for humans, but that's one of the glorious parts about it. It's that it's not toxic to humans. Now, this is BT cotton, so making cotton isn't so controversial, but when you get into things like BT corn, it does become a little more of an issue, but we'll go through that in just a minute. So the last plant example we'll look at is golden rice. And golden rice is certainly a great one to talk about because it has lots of social and ethical implications. So first of all, we'll go through what it is. And it is a transgenic species that has the genes from multiple organisms inserted. Now, golden rice was initially made with, the, with genes from three different organisms, but it has now been improved upon, and there is a golden rice 2. And golden rice 2 just has two organism genes within it now, and that is a daffodil and bacteria DNA, uh, and that gives the golden rice its particular color. Now, the color is like a yellowy golden color, um, but th what gives it the color is the amount of beta carotene that it has in there. And golden rice 2 has around about 23 times as much beta carotene as a golden rice 1. So a bit of an update there on golden rice. Now, 
It has a, a, a necessary amount of this beta carotene for your body to produce vitamin A. And that's very important because vitamin A deficiency is a significant issue particularly in third world countries and that is why golden rice was developed so lots to talk about here in terms of ethical implications and before we finish we'll go through one more animal example and that is one that i have used before and that is the production of insulin made in bacteria the gene for insulin production is extracted from humans it is then inserted directly into the bacteria the bacteria can then multiply and the bacteria will make the necessary insulin that we need, and we can then extract that. So a good one that I have used before if you've listened to the podcast. All right, let's now tie together some of the social and ethical implications of that technology. When we talk about ethics, um, is it right or wrong? Do we have ultimate control of these things? Are we allowed to do what we're doing? Is it going to harm humanity? Is it going to benefit humanity? So all these things need to come into consideration when we talk about ethics and how it ties in with those social implications. This is certainly a good place to put in an extended response question with your students after you've gone through all of these things because it's so open-ended. It really allows them to write. So as I said before, ethics is concerned with the right or wrong, and that's dependent on your religion, on your culture, on your philosophy, um, and even your own personal beliefs. So there's certainly a spectrum when, when it comes to ethics. Uh, but what's important is that we keep in mind that these things, biotechnologies, are coming whether we like it or not. The uh, human, humanity doesn't stop its progress um, just f for no reason. We, we will progress forward. Uh, but it's important that we... Do what we can to make it fair and accessible to all. So when we talk about the Belgian blue cow example, the social implications are that we get a higher yield. So we get more meat from an individual cow. That reduces waste. We also get a better economic benefit from the individual farmers that are farming these cows. So they get more money to live and spend, which benefits all of society as more money uh, means more progress and things like that. So... That is some uh, of the social implications. In terms of the ethical implications, we come to things like, is it right or wrong to breed these cows? Do they suffer from being overly large? Is it something that we should be in control of? And some would say yes, and some would say no, but you need to be able to argue your point. Again, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer in some of these places. As I said before, though, it's important to remember that progress is happening whether we like it or not, and we have to minimize the impact it has on the individual when we can. So let's now take a look at the BT cotton example. As I said before, it minimizes the use of insecticides, which is obviously very important for minimizing impact on the environment. This also lowers the cost for the farmer, although the plant itself can cost a bit more, so you do have a bit of a balance there. Um, but... Overall, the idea is that the plant will survive those, uh, those insects better and less waste through uh, damage to those plants and less uh, use of those insecticides will minimize the cost, therefore producing economic benefits for the individual. And hopefully you'll get a better yield and growth of those plants. The negatives involve mainly around the unknowns. So with transgenic species, the biggest risk is that we have a mutation or something that causes them to change in a way that hasn't been predicted. Now, this hasn't really happened, and there's no evidence to suggest that the BT crops are mutating or causing any significant issues, but the big future unknown questions are certainly a, a, a reasonable thing to ask and, and something that 
students will definitely understand with and identify with, are we manipulating DNA now without realizing the potential consequences in the future? Um, another negative could be the uh, crossbreeding of these plants with the native populations, causing, again, mutation, unknown factors, things like that. Um, and the final one is one that will come up later in the syllabus, which is about genetic diversity. So by producing the BT cotton plant, we're producing a plant that has one particular gene type in it. Now, if we are copying and uh, cloning this plant or using the same variety, we're then going to have a single culture of this entire plant across maybe a state or a country or even the, in, even the world. Now, if there was a disease that was um, or an environmental factor that was going to affect these plants, they would be significantly harmed and the entire population could potentially be wiped out. So minimizing genetic diversity, as we've talked about, is really a negative thing in biology and for evolution in general. And are we producing those crops that have minimal genetic variation to survive those environmental changes or can we um, manipulate these plants um, if they are to undergo some sort of change or disease in time for us to produce the same amount of yield. So definitely some questions that can be asked around BT cotton. Now golden rice, as I said, is a good example because it does have the potential to really impact the world. And some of the benefits of golden rice include that of minimizing that vitamin A deficiency. If we can do that, then we can save lives and you can improve health, you can minimize blindness, um, and then those people are able to function more efficiently in their society. Um, the cost is less on the healthcare system. So you can see there's many benefits of, of producing this rice that, that makes that beta carotin. Now, the negatives to this are mainly around the perceptions of GM foods, particularly in third world countries. Now, when people have grown up eating white rice their entire life, to see a different colored rice and to be told that it's been genetically modified, it certainly would be scary to hear that for the first time. And we're probably at a point in our human evolution where in the future, this won't be so controversial, um, but at the moment, it still is an issue. There's lots of individual companies and people that don't like using GM foods, and they are probably more concerned with the risks around the unknown factors. So they just don't know what will happen. Is it going to cause me to get sick? Is it going to mutate and cause some other change that we can't predict? Now, at the moment, all the evidence is suggesting that, no, this doesn't happen. This is a random occurrence, just like any other mutation, and it's not going to happen. We're manipulating the DNA, and the DNA is the stuff that we're all made from. We're just putting in different bits and pieces in order to get the desired traits. So does minimizing this vitamin A deficiency for the unknown factors really warrant people not wanting to use it? Well, this is a personal and cultural decision. Those unknown factors can be coupled with the ideas of cross-pollination. So as I said before, the cross-pollination with the natural varieties of those uh, rice crops could certainly cause, again, some unknown issues and unknown factors. But those are, 
Again, something that has been controlled currently and could be controlled in the future. Now, one that is probably more warranted is that of reducing genetic diversity again. So if we do reduce that genetic diversity and produce this one type of uh, crop, then they are once again going to be susceptible to those significant changes. So a decrease in biodiversity, a decrease in variation leads to more susceptibility to those environmental changes. Certainly something that would not be a good thing if it happened, particularly in those third world countries. So how do we stop that from happening? Well, that's something that governments and individuals countries would have to be in control of. Now, the uh, Golden Rice 2 is currently for sale in quite a few countries and can be used in foods. Um, and I know that it can be used here in Australia. Um, and I believe New Zealand and Canada are two other countries where it has been approved for human consumption. And the last one, the production of insulin. We've talked about this many times, but the idea is that we have minimized the damage to animals by no longer needing to extract it from organs, um, which is how we used to get insulin. We can now use bacteria and manipulate their DNA in order to produce the necessary insulin that we need. We're not even manipulating the entire bacterial DNA. We're actually just manipulating the plasmids, the tiny little rings of DNA that they use. Um, but the concerns, again, are around the ideas of mutation, causing these bacteria, which can give them maybe a beneficial change that allows them to survive antibiotics. So all these things that are currently unknown and uh, there are no you know, known cases of these things occurring so far, um, but they are warranted as potential issues in the future and something that students can definitely talk about. Now, the implications of this socially are enormous and that's why we do it because the benefits certainly outweigh the negatives in this case. People don't really have an issue uh, with manipulating bacteria in order to produce insulin. And so that is something that at a, I guess, um, biological level that people are okay with. But as you move up that sort of food chain, that's where it becomes a bit unclear with what people will accept and not accept. Um, but as I said before, the benefits are that people get to live longer and live without as much pain. We can treat more people uh, for less money, um, we can provide better healthcare for individuals, we minimize the impact on hospitals, and we allow them to really contribute to society. So that should cover the social and ethical implications of a number of different biotechnologies. Now when we look at the next dot point, which is the researching future directions of the use of biotechnology, well, I went through those before. So three good examples you can look at. Uh, the use of CRISPR technology, and there are so many ethical and social considerations around that. It's a really good place to have a debate, which is what I do with my students. I allow them to debate the benefits and harm to humanity of using a technology like CRISPR. It brings up just about every point you could think of, um, from you know creating a super race to uh, curing all diseases forever, um, to creating uh, you know alien-like features on humans definitely a really good way to go with the CRISPR technology is using that to have a debate. Um, the other one was the phage therapy that I said before. You can also look at gene therapy, another good one. And the last one was the nanoparticle delivery of cancer killing drugs that I said before um, for pancreatic cancer. So some really good examples and places for the students to do research on. And the final dot point for this one that kind of fits into every previous category is evaluating the potential benefits for society of research using genetic technologies. So why is this stuff important? So again, this is an evaluate question. That's like a you know six to eight marker in the HSC. 
you've got to give a lot of details about how this could be used and the benefits. So that's the key word here, not the negatives. We're just looking at the benefits of research using this thing. So some good examples you can use here. Uh, again, the ideas that are built on our future technology, so looking at CRISPR, improved early diagnosis, um, early intervention programs, better overall community health, the development of um, new vaccines, minimizing any any disease you can think of that is genetic, so turning off certain genes. So when we talk about sickle cell anemia, we might be able to edit a single base change in the cells in order to change the individual from producing that uh, malfunctioning protein to producing the correct one. So, so this is all benefits that are going to help humanity in the long run. So medical, industrial, conservation, so we can protect and save species. And uh, yeah, industrial like agriculture, um, as I said before, producing better yields, minimizing um, damage to individuals, to the environment, to crops. So it's a big crossover question here. What are the benefits though? Remember, that's the key word in this one, evaluating the benefits, all of the positives here. But that should pretty much cover just about everything for this dot point. As I said, I feel like it was a bit wishy-washy on my delivery of this one today. And uh, I hope that you got something out of it. But this is one that you certainly can open open up in the classroom and allow the students to explore and research on their own to figure out what they believe about these certain things. And as always, guys, be sure to check out STEM Reactor at stemreactor.com.au. They have just about everything you would need to do biotechnology at school. And that's at stemreactor.com.au.